This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Let's face it. People have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Bed, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. Welcome aboard a special edition of Peter Greenberg Worldwide celebrating the new year. This week, we're out to sea with ship historian Peter Canego on the Queen Mary. We're on the American Queen in the Mississippi and the brand new Seven Seas Explorer in the Mediterranean. So, Happy New Year, celebrate responsibly, and I'll be with you next week from Washington, D.C. If you're just joining us, let me tell you where we're at. Get out your maps, boys and girls. 33 degrees, 47 minutes north, 118 degrees, 11 minutes west. We're in Long Beach, California, on board the iconic, the legendary Queen Mary. And taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 
888-PETER. And if you can't get through on the phones, you know what to do. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question, or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. You can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Peter S. Greenberg or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Peter Greenberg. I, uh, I could not do a show on a ship of this history, on a ship of this magnitude with, without our next guest, who is, whatever we talk about ships, he's a regular on the show. He's a, yes, he's a blogger, but to me, he's like Mr. Cruise history, Mr. Ship history, uh, about all things in the water. And his name is Peter Canego. How are you, Peter? I'm great, Peter. Great to be here and, with you. And, and, you know, people are always saying to me, oh, where'd you just come back from? And I tell them, they go, oh, really? Right. I always ask you where you come back from, and, I, and you tell me, I go, really? <laughs> where'd you just come back from? Well, I just actually got off the Crystal Serenity. On yeah, the but that's not the really part. That's not the really, yeah, but that's not right. the really part. But right before that, uh, I did a four-night trip out of Spitsbergen on a tiny little Norwegian ship called the Nordstjernen, built in 1956. It was built for the Hurtigruten route that went between uh, Kirkenes on the north and Bergen on the south coast of Norway. This ship was an essential part of keeping everybody connected because there was no way to get anywhere in Norway except by ship. And they're still sailing a 60-year-old ship. Well, yes. They've sold it to another owner now, and it's been declared a national treasure, so it can't be scrapped. And they chartered the ship back during the summertime to do their Spitsbergen archipelago cruises, which are phenomenal on their own, but then when you're in these places, it's the farthest north you can actually sail on a ship because for some reason the currents are warm and there isn't that much ice in the sea up there. So you sail around these islands, which are virtually uninhabited. The biggest cities have up to maybe 60, 100 people in them, uh, mostly people there for research because nobody else in their right mind would want to live up that <laughs> far north. Uh, so it's an incredibly pristine, beautiful area to be in, and then you're on this tiny little ship, that 2,000-ton ship, no stabilizers, no air conditioning, upper and lower berths if you're lucky, a tiny little porthole that actually opens because there's no AC, as I said. Uh, all fish, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, basically of local course, stuff that's caught. Yeah, really cool ship. So basically the menu has one word that starts with an H, herring. <laughs> yes, herring. <laughs> well, and then the S word, salmon, which, right. yeah. I yeah. could. You know what? I could live on that ship. I love salmon. Okay, yeah. good, Peter. But, you know, but yeah. when it comes to older ships, um, in your, in my experience talking to you, Peter, when it comes to older ships, there's, there's no middle ground. You're either on one of the older ships or you're taking stuff from one of the older ships. Yeah, well, sadly... Your house in yeah. Southern California is, is a museum. Uh, there's not a, an inch of available wall space left in that house or floor no. space. Everything that you can imagine that you've taken away from ships that were about to be broken up or that were in the process of being broken up, legendary ocean liners and cruise ships in your house. Exactly. Absolutely. We've just, it's sort of like Manifest Destiny, too. Now we've conquered the outdoor patio. I've lined it in teak from the love boat. So we've made it a place where we can sit during the summertime. You're talking about the original Pacific Princess? The, actually, the Island Princess, the which Island was Princess. also oh, the, the love boat. boat. Okay. But she never got the proper credit because okay. there were two of them. But they used the one name of the one ship, obviously. So, right. Yeah. But so now we've just done the patio antique, and um, all the furniture from the lobby of the Love Boat is out there on the patio. We're doing the stair tower and Cunard railing, very much like what you'd see on the Queen Mary from another ship that sailed with the Mary back in the 50s called the Ivernia. 
And, the Iver uh, that was a Cunard ship. Yeah, she was an, a Cunard. The Ivernia. Ivernia. Never she, heard of that one. She sailed to Canada from Liverpool. There, she was one of four sister ships, the Saxonia class ships. Two of them became Sitmar ships, which you might have known as the Fair Sea and Fair Wind. I saw those ships yeah. a couple of years ago before they finally like sailed off into the sunset yeah. in Australia. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Australia was sort of like the last gap, you know, before a ship would go for scrap. It was a very kind of low-key market, so they would send the older ships down there until they basically fell apart, and then they'd sell them for scrap. One of the older ships I remember recently that I really would have wanted to see up close and personal was the Canberra. Yeah, she was fantastic. I sailed... She was scrapped in 97 with the new Solus laws that came into practice. Uh, unfortunately, she was falling apart towards the end, but she had this very loyal following, and I sailed in her from Vancouver to Acapulco on a segment of her final world cruise, and it was phenomenal. And these people that were on the ship were these little old ladies. They had never <laughs> sailed on any other ship but the Canberra. They basically lived yeah. on the ship. Yeah, they basically would go there, sit in the same deck chair, knit their sweaters, and, and you know tell their old stories. You know, they'd been sailing on the ship since she came in service in 1961. So you were popular on Singles Night. Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> no, I remember I took a voyage on the last voyage of the Holland America Rotterdam. Yes. From Amsterdam to, from Rotterdam actually to New York. And and I get on the ship and, and the cruise director says, "Listen, I have to I have to warn you about kissing Annie." Oh I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, "Who's kissing Annie?" He said, "Well, she's about four feet tall. Her husband died many years ago, left her the everything, and she just decided to move on to the ship. Yep. And if she sees you, she's going to run up to you and kiss you." And and boy, did she. Oh, my God. Little kiss. And you couldn't hear her coming. She just came right up and got you. And make you dance with her. Oh, absolutely. Whether you're with your girlfriend, your wife, or whatever, she would drag you on that dance Kissing floor. Kissing Annie, absolutely. Yep. And, and that was the... And she actually died on the successor to the Rotterdam, the, the Rotterdam Six. And, I, you know, she was at sea on the Rotterdam. And she died at sea. All the way. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. One kiss too many. <laughs> the kiss of death. <laughs> like, oh, Jesus. But no, but she was a great character. She yeah. I mean, she really worked me on the Rotterdam. <laughs> it was sort of like, remember, everybody has a story, and boy, she had one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, many stories. And there are characters like that on these ships, especially the the older ships, the ones that did world cruises. Uh, there were people that lived on the QE2. There were people that lived on the Coronia before the QE2. There are people now that live on the Crystal Serenity. These these mega wealthy ships, that people just bring their own furniture aboard and they just take They're allowed residence. to bring their own furniture yeah, on board? Yeah, they bring their own furniture, their own artwork, sometimes their own food. Because no matter how good the food is, when you're eating the same food by the same chef with the same stores, it gets a little tired after about six months. Wow. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. We've been talking with the ship historian and all-around good guy, Peter Canego. Peter, when did you start this obsession with ships? Well, in about 1973, I had to write a paper about the Lusitania for my American history class. And I thought it was a battleship. And then when I did the you research... You found out it was, it was a, an, it ocean an ocean liner, liner, four smokestacks, sunk by the bow, a thousand people died. I thought, this is incredible. There were more four stackers in the Titanic? 
around that time, I had that interest. And by the way, those, yeah. unless I'm crazy, yeah. when a ship came off the line with four stacks, one of them at least was ornamental. It didn't even a work. A lot of the times they were, yeah, one was a dummy. On the yeah. Titanic, the yeah. fourth funnel was a dummy. Yeah. But, but on some, they actually all four did work. Yeah. But yeah, so anyway, th that stimulated my interest. And the Queen Mary had just opened up as an exhibition. And the movie Poseidon Adventure, which was partially filmed on the Queen Mary, okay, came out. Okay, here's one for you. Yeah. Piece of trivia, who played the captain? Leslie, Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen. Yes. <laughs> of course. Of I mean, course. I mean you, I remember him, of course, from Airplane. All of the, course. But he played a serious role in the Poseidon. Yeah. He was the captain. Yeah, he was a serious actor. He was and, a great and, actor. Wait, and my favorite our actress in that movie? Stella Shelley, Stevens. No, oh. Shelley Winters. Oh, my God. Not Stella Stevens? Oh, yeah. She, in yeah, that negligee? Yeah, but come on. Yeah. Shelley Winters. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Shelley Winters was incredible. In yeah. those days, you know, you had the, 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 the towering inferno and the Poseidon adventure. Yeah. And every actor who hadn't worked in 30 years was in those movies. Exactly. Everybody you could imagine, yeah. <laughs> Irwin right, Allen. Irwin Allen. Irwin Allen, of yeah. course, yeah. All right, so forgetting the Poseidon adventure, it got your attention. It got my attention. Queen Mary was here, so I would bribe my mom by vacuuming and mowing the lawn or whatever I had to do to get her to drive me the hour down to Long Beach so I could wander around the Queen Mary as a little kid. And it was incredible to me just walking these teak decks. I, it, this was the biggest ocean liner in the world at the time. This is long before the era of mega ships. So this ship just seemed massive and there were so many areas to explore. I don't know how many times I came down here, probably every third weekend for about 10 years during my you know, elementary school to college years. So you're doing and a lot of mo lawn mowing. A lot of lawn yeah, mowing yeah, yeah. and a lot of dishwashing, but it was incredible to actually be able to walk the decks of a liner. And this was during the time when all the liners were going out of service and there weren't that many cruise ships. It's before the love boat. So I was so lucky to have this interest and have the Queen Mary literally in my own backyard. And isn't it interesting now, for many, many years now, the Queen Mary is a hotel. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, beautiful hotel and that's some of the best parts of the ship what people don't know when they come on board just on tours they're missing like the dining room and the hotel areas with all the beautiful paneling and a lot of these off the beaten track rooms that are hidden in different corners of the ship it's a really really great place to explore what's the big surprise for you about the ship because you've been all over it so many times yeah i Every time I'm honored, there's something new. I, I, I can't necessarily say there's much of a surprise. Actually, every time you're on it, there's something old that you discover. Yeah, something old so rediscovered. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that chart? It, the, there's a panel of the ship in the main lobby, and it's got like 33 different types of woodwork. Yes. That, yeah, so I have all this woodwork from all the ships that I've rescued, and I literally have to go there every single time I go on board and try to find this wood that, I, that may or may not match some of the stuff that I have from some of the other ships. It's incredible what they do here. I mean, when you go overseas, you're, you're trying to catch ships that are either just recently been broken up or are about to go to the shipyard to be, to be broken up. What was the, the biggest find for you? Probably the artwork from this ship called the Stella Solaris. Um, oh, one of the one of the Greek ships. Yeah, Sunlines. It was the yeah. ultra deluxe Greek ship. But it, it was, was well, you know, the Stella Solaris was probably the only luxury ship that line had because yeah. every other ship they had was a was a tub. No, no, wait, wait. That was a Piratiki that had the oh, tubs. Oh, you're right, right. You're that right. was the lower. Sunline had the really high class. I stand corrected. Food. You're right. They a Piratiki. Ships. Yeah. I. You know what? Here's what I think about a Piratiki. You're in the boardroom of a major cruise line, <laughs> and somebody walks in and says, you see that ship over there? It's a defective ship. It's going to blow up any minute. What should we do with it? And yeah. the answer in the room was, sell it to a Piratiki. Yeah. Call a Piratiki. They'll, they'll take, take it. it. Yeah. And yeah. they did. They took all this yeah. stuff. 
crafty guys. They would take ships that were literally declared total constructive losses, like after they would partially sink in the Amazon or where they'd be towed to the scrapyard. I remember they, one, yeah. the Sundancer <laughs> yeah. was a ship that was sailing from Los Angeles up to do Seattle and Alaska cruises. Yeah. It grinds, it, 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 it's grounded in an accident um, it, in, in Alaska, yep. actually off, off the coast of Canada. The captain has no choice but to save the ship. He runs it aground at some lumber yard, uh, and it's considered a total loss. And this ship was was uh, distinguished by the fact that it had two smokestacks that were slanted. Yeah. Right. And I remember seeing that ship. Now, thankfully, nobody was di nobody died in that accident. But the ship was declared a total loss. And about, yeah. about a year and a half later, I'm looking at a newspaper, and there's an ad in there saying, "Sail the South African Riviera on board the brand new uh, Pegasus." Pegasus. Right. Yeah. And I looked at this <laughs> thing. I said. Wait a minute, I've seen those smokestacks. When was the last time I saw those smokestacks? Oh, I remember. They were underwater. <laughs> and I went and I said, oh my God. And it was a Pirotiki. Yeah. And I ran over to Athens. I said, do you have the Sundancer? And they well, what do you want to know for? I said, it's the smokestacks. Do you have it or not? Mm -hmm. And it was. And you know what? They sailed that ship. Then it sank yeah. again. Again, it caught on fire. Caught in on fire. And, sank. and yeah. then they refloated it. Yep. And then it sank again. Yeah, it caught on fire. They were going <laughs> to they were I gonna mean, make it into on. a ferry. And finally, the third time it caught on fire, they said enough is enough. Enough is enough. Yeah. 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 I mean, that yeah. happens every once in a while. Yeah, every now and then. And yeah, and the Greeks were really good at, you know, it was like, you know, I guess in Cuba, what they do with the old cars, they, 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 they didn't have the money to buy new ones. So they just kept, you know, refurbishing and repairing the old ships and kept them running as long as they could. And you and I both know I'm working on a story right now for CBS on a legendary ship that's still sailing almost 70 years after it was built. Yeah. The old yeah. Stockholm, which has now had about seven different owners and about nine different names. Yeah. And it's still sailing 70 years after it was launched. And it's remarkable. Yeah, she's a, she's well. It's a lot to be said for those icebreaker class hulls. You know, yes. that's that's basically what's left of her is just basically the hull because they scrapped everything else and yeah. re-engined her. But that hull is the hull that actually sank the Andrea Doria in 1956 when they had the collision. The largest maritime disaster in American history off the coast. Yeah, and filmed the first one to actually be done live on television by CBS. Yeah. Ah. And guess who the correspondent was? Mm, Cronkite. Andy Rooney. Ah, oh, okay. how about that? There you go. <laughs> because they could get a fixed-wing airplane out there, over the over the ship while it was still foundering and before it sank, and they actually have a black and white video, a video, black and white film, now at least translated video, of the ship finally rolling over and going down. Yeah. 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 And the Stockholm showed up in New York Harbor looking like an accordioned pug, yep. and disappeared, and all of a sudden it's still sailing. Yeah. It's unbelievable how they re any other ship I think they would have scrapped. Yeah, but that thing is still going. Yeah, she's well. She was really solid. What are the older ships that are still going now that are surprising to you? The, I mean, the really old ones. Yeah, there are. You know, they can't. They're they're all gone because of the Solus laws that came into effect in 2010. That's except why, except for this one. The, yeah, the Stockholm, but that's because there's nothing new inside of her. Right. And this little Nordstern that I got off of was built in '56. There's another one called the Lofoten, which is doing her to Groot and service, built in '64. That's still doing Scandinavia. Correct, but only can do Norwegian-based service. It cannot sail outside of Norway because, because of the Solus laws. Safety oh, basically. Yeah. yeah. So those, you know, just small ships in little pockets of the world, but ever, all the really great old Grand Liners, they've all been scrapped, or maybe in the case of a ship like the Rotterdam, which you mentioned earlier, she's yeah. been preserved in yes, the Rotterdam. Yes, I, I went on to, to the, the old Rotterdam because I used to sail on it, and it's now a floating hotel and restaurant in Rotterdam. Exactly.
If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. We've just gone from ship history to city history, and our next guest knows a little bit about that. She's the executive director of the Historical Society of Long Beach. It's Julie Bartolotto. How are you, Julie? I'm well. How are you? Good. I mean, you're a California girl, but were you ever expecting to see this much history in this city? I had no idea that that would become my career when I moved here. But, I mean, when you moved here, though, a lot of history. Yes. What's the biggest you know, eye-opener for you when you first came down here? Because... Long Beach was always to me. When I first moved to California, I was 21 years old, and nobody came to Long Beach. It was sort of like this little sleepy thing that nobody knew what, what, what it was. And then all of a sudden, in 1968, about, you know, this is before I came here, of course, then they moved the Queen Mary here, and then the Spruce Goose showed up, and a few other things. But it still was considered like, you're going to Long Beach, right? And then all of a sudden, you guys basically turned around. Well, I came here in the late 80s to go to college, so it was about going to college for me. And one of the things that um, I noticed was that we would come sometimes downtown to see, to uh, eat at Supermax, and that's when a lot of the historic buildings were being torn down. And I noticed that, and then later in my career, I clearly was a lot more involved in learning about the history of Long Beach and understanding what was going on in downtown. But there are a lot of buildings that haven't been torn down. That's you, right. You've got a couple. My, my mom grew up in Los Angeles, and she used to tell me about this high-rise apartment building in Long Beach. It's still there. The Villa Riviera. Yes. I mean, what a building. Yes, it's a fabulous building. I know. And, and, and is it now co-op co or condos? Or is They're it, condos. They are, yeah. yes. And not far from the convention center. Right, not far. Yeah. So what's the, for you, living here and working with the Historical Society, the one piece of history that people overlook about Long Beach? I think the neighborhoods. It's a really livable city, can live and work in the city and have a 20-minute commute, maybe not on the freeway. It's very nice. Well, a 20-minute commute not on the freeway in Los Angeles means you have your own private helicopter. <laughs> not in Long Beach. No, not in Long Beach, I know. Uh, but in terms of the architecture, you know, we just mentioned that one place there's still a lot of architecture to see here. There's a lot of great architecture, and there's a lot of great modern, mid-century modern architecture as well, which is um, becoming more recognized. You mentioned all the buildings that were being torn down. Obviously, you're at the forefront of trying to keep the buildings that are still here, still here. I'm with the Historical Society, and we're a small museum, so we collect the archives of the city, but I have been on the Cultural Heritage Commission, and there is an active preservation community in Long Beach that overlaps definitely with what I do. You, you, you know, you talk about the archives. My mother used to tell me stories about the great Long Beach fire and also the earthquake, the earthquake that happened here that was really devastating. 1933, there was a large earthquake on the Newport Inglewood Fault, and it was actually um, centered in Newport Beach. But Long Beach was um, more built up than Newport, and had a lot of damage. Every school in the district in the city was damaged. Wow. But then they rebuilt. Absolutely. I know. And so when you talk about the port, a lot of history there too. Yes. It was very important. It's, it is very important and it has always been important in the city's development. Um, founded in 1911 and uh, it's growing still and a huge economic driver. 
huge benefit to the community it as can, well. It can still grow, huh? It is. <laughs> There's space for that? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> for you, when people come to visit you, right, the out-of-towners to Long Beach, what's the biggest surprise for them that they weren't expecting to find? That's a good question. <laughs> that's why I have a show. What I you, think or, or, or what do you want to show them that's going to wow them? Long Beach has a really interesting history, and if it were in any other part of the country, it would be a much larger metropolis, con considered much m larger than it is. We don't have a, we have one radio station, we have one daily newspaper, no, you know, no network TV. So we're really in the shadow of LA, and I think um, Long Beach is, is a really large city, and it would have a, has a large impact and it's just overlooked in many ways. Including your airport. I love your airport. The airport's fabulous. It really is. It's, it's a little boutique. It is. I mean, I, and I hope they keep saying, they, they saved that architectural notion of being able to walk out on the tarmac to get to your plane. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are, that, there's a certain romance to that airport. Yes, and there's wonderful um, um, New Deal art in throughout the airport on the mosaics on the floor. Um, the New Deal was important in Long Beach, and you can really see that at that airport, and that's really cool. And they've kept it. They have. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. We're actually coming to you on the Mississippi River on board the American Queen Riverboat, uh, a real steamboat heading down towards New Orleans, taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888 888- 88Peter, and if you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill. You email me, peter at petergreenberg.com, with your name, phone number, question, or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. And as I do every week at this time, I encourage you to go to our website, petergreenberg.com, for our comprehensive list of all the aid and relief organizations doing all that hard work all around the world, and an opportunity for you to immerse yourself and give back every time you travel. We always like to localize some of the volunteerism opportunities, and uh, Louisiana is no exception. In fact, we're heading towards New Orleans, so how about something called Common Ground Relief, a great organization dedicated to restoring the coast. And you get to volunteer in all sorts of activities with the locals, either on the water, by boat or canoe, or on land, and uh, you're working along alongside the people who actually live here. What better way to learn about a place than by somebody who lives there? And uh, you just got to be over 18 years of age. But if you got kids over 18 or you're over 18, guess what? Life-changing experience awaits you. It's not for a week or a month. You can do it for an afternoon or a morning. If you want more information, go to their website, commongroundrelief.org, or our website, petergreenberg.com. Joining me now, we talk about the art of the conversation in this country. I think he's got it. Um, he has a title on this ship, which uh, most people don't know. Uh, you've heard the word historian. Uh, he's a river lorian, and he'll have to explain that. Jerry Hay, how are you? Great, thank you. Okay, what's a river lorian? Well, a river lorian is a combination of words, historian and lore. 
So, so you're we, making it up as you go along. Well, we, we are allowed to, yes. <laughs> Historians have to stick with the truth. We don't necessarily have to. But that's part of the part of the heritage of the river, actually, is storytelling. We well, listen, too. you've been on and off the river for about, what, 17 years. So yes. you've seen a lot of stuff. And you've seen a time when there weren't a lot of riverboats on the water at all. Now this ship is back on it. Uh, and, you, you know, you're, you're, you're traversing a lot of water. I mean, you're, you're crossing state boundaries. You're going into different, different locations all mm. along either the main river or the tributaries. What's the stories that, that, that fascinate people the most that they had no idea about? Well, I think probably the stories about those early days on the river. And I actually do an entire talk about that, about the evolution of the river boats, how it all began from the flat boats, the keel boats, the, the pirates. We had pirates on the river, stories about that. And to really, You're not making that up. You have No. Okay, this just double check. This is true. Uh, I, have a, I have a method for that. If, if I tell a lie, I always confess afterwards so people will know the difference. Okay, good. And so uh, this this river heritage is part of the American heritage is the river system, the steamboats for sure. And so people really enjoy hearing about those early rough and rowdy days on the river. You know, and it, it, this boat depicts that era somewhat. It's more of the luxury steamboat of the time. But they, uh, uh, it's always a fascinating for them to hear that lore. And I, and I enjoy doing it. I spend one day just telling stories. That's all I do. Yeah. We don't, I don't, no teaching that day, just storytelling. I did that just today. And that's the, that's the most fun day for me, too. Who's your most fascinating riverside or riverboat character? Uh, William Clark. And most people would be surprised to hear that, but he was a part of the Lewis and Clark expedition, and he was of every bit of a riverman. He was known as a frontiersman and a soldier, but he uh, had an uncanny ability to read the river on the Lewis and Clark expedition. And you have to read the river. You got to read the river, and his map making was a miracle. How he drew his maps and ascertained the distances and those sort of thing, and so I believe that expedition would have not been successful without him. So. Uh, he's a, a quite a river man in my he's my my river royalty I call him and he's at the top of the list now of course everybody I'm sure expects you to talk about Mark Twain well of course Mark Twain yeah Mark Twain put the Mississippi River on the world map uh, with his wit wisdom and humor and it, that's why this river name is known throughout the world is because of Mark Twain so even though he and was Mark a, Twain actually means what Mark Twain means uh, two fathoms of river depth on a lead line so they would toss the lead line out ahead of the boat and measure it off in one fathom. It's about six feet. And then they would uh, call out, the leadsman would call out to the Mark one for six feet of water. Then the next Mark would be where or not. He would be two fathoms, and he'd call out Mark Twain. That's safe water. So that was his pseudonym, and that's what it was. He his real name, of course, water. Samuel Clements. Exactly. Yeah. By the way, he did a book, nothing to do with the river, but he did a book that is one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. It's back in print. It's not sold in your bookstore, but somebody needs to go get it. It's called Innocence Abroad. Mm. Amazing what this guy did as a traveler. We're talking Mark Twain. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, my God. Mm. And the things that he experienced about 100 years ago are the same things we experience today. Nickel and diming, mm -hmm. people not getting, you know, overcharging for seats. I mean, it's amazing to read that and put it in perspective. And he had an eloquent way of expressing it. Oh, some of he had a that. humorous way of expressing <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. I yeah. mean, you, you couldn't get more fun than this guy. Right. What's the biggest surprise about him that you tell people? I suppose the biggest surprise I say about him is that name again, Mark Twain, because uh, there was a captain, a riverboat captain named Isaiah Sellers out of St. Louis, and Captain Sellers was a was a very famous captain, well known, and he wrote journals that was published in all the newspapers that the other pilots read, and everyone admired Captain Sellers for his skill, 
and he had a cub pilot working under him for a time named Sam Clemens. Well, Sam admired Captain Sellers for not only his skill as a pilot, but his writing, and it inspired him to start writing. And he also admired something else Captain Sellers did, because at the end of his name on the journals, he signed off Mark Twain. Whoops. Yes, he was actually the first Mark Twain, but uh, he waited till Captain Sellers died before he took it. So that was... Uh, and he's certainly made it famous, more so. Who's heard of Captain Desire Now, today, Sellers? of course, that would end up in court. <laughs> Probably would. <laughs> right? I mean, today yes. it would be like a, it would be a lawsuit. Right. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah. What's the biggest surprise for people who've never been on a riverboat when they first come on? The boat itself. When they first walk on this boat, I see them walking around in awe, looking at this beautiful boat, uh, and going to all the public spaces, and uh, people like to explore it and look around. So even though they've probably seen the brochures and the photographs, but to be on the boat makes all the difference. And, and I take pleasure in helping them, show them those places around the boat. You know, I mean, to me, it's the extensive use of wood where you probably couldn't build that ship today. You couldn't build the ship today without wood. I don't wood. think so, yeah. no. Well, you could, you could, it's still a steel vessel. I know, but I'm talking about the wood. We have a lot of wood in in the interior. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's storytelling there as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 Of all the towns that you visit, what's the one that's the one that nobody's expecting to be very cool? The the local people? Yeah, or the people on the ship, too. Yeah. Hello? Uh, This is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. And the reason why we're here, the launch and the christening of the brand new Seven Seas Explorer, built by them, of course, as the most luxurious ship ever built in the world. Joining me now, who might have a few things to say about that, good, bad, or ugly, our good friend from USA Today, Gene Sloan. Gene, you just came off the ship, so how's it doing? I did, and uh, I have to say, it is a beautiful ship. That's the end of your interview? That's it? That, uh, that's it in a nutshell. No, it, it, it's, Well, thanks for coming, Gene. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the first week, so obviously they're, uh, you know, they're still getting a little bit of the, um, you know, the nuts and, you know, things out of it, uh, getting it together, but... Um, but yeah, the, the the beauty of the ship is just really amazing. The inlaid marble, the Murano glass, the uh, you know the the, the fabrics—it's uh, it's impressive. So the design touches caught your eye. Yes, it, it, they do. And yeah, I've been on a lot of these luxury ships. But you've been on so many cruise ships. I mean, how does this one differ other than marble? Well, the, the space—I mean, there's just so many little touches, like the uh, the balcony space, which is one thing you notice immediately. We, you know, so many ships you go out, there's, you know, they, they market it as a balcony. You go out, there's a couple feet there. These are huge balconies. Even I noticed that. Cameras. Yeah, I was talking to James Schillinglaw right, right before you came on. That's the first thing he mentioned. The balconies are real balconies. Real balconies. You can actually entertain another person out there. Yeah, that's it. And even on luxury ships, you don't always see that. So that, you know, that's. Uh, it's good to see. They, what, what happened here is they, they actually they gave more space to passengers as they went from their last ship to their new ship. And that's something we've been seeing with lines, both mass market and luxury, is that with each new ship, it, it, you know, they're actually making them smaller, you know, giving less space, packing more people on board. And that's not what you saw here. So they, they've gone against the grain. Yes. Yeah. And you think other ships will follow suit? I hope so. I mean, you, you know, you, we have another Seaborne ship coming out later this year. It's another luxury line. And they, their space ratio is going to go down a little bit. So it's, it's you know, we're not seeing this with some of the other lines. I, mean, I hope more will see what they've done here at Regent and, 
you know, make those changes. What's your definition of a luxury cruise ship? Great service. Uh, you know, you can have all the, um, you know, super, the, like I said, the marble, all this fancy stuff on board. But it really comes down to how well the crew is trained, how, you know, how just the, the way they serve you, the way they care for you in your room. And then, of course, we'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. In fact, our next guest will be talking to him about it. This $10,000 a night suite? Ah, yeah. I just was taking a look at it. It, it is, it's just over the top. It's, you know, you've probably heard it's a, there's a $150,000 bed in that in that room i heard it was 190,000 maybe it's 190,000 but who's yeah, counting uh, it, you know horse some kind of special horse here i don't know maybe not a regular horse it's like an even a fancier horse but uh, hey listen if it was the godfather the horse would be in the bed yeah, what are you talking about maybe <laughs> yeah but it's uh really nothing like that you've seen just you know the the uh, glassware everything on on in that space but you mentioned space it's a huge room Giant, over 4,000 square feet. And that includes the balcony, but, you know, that's... Wait, wait, 4,000 square feet is bigger than some homes in Beverly Hills. It is. This is actually more than 50% larger than the average home in the United States this week. And they're selling it. And they're selling it. And, pe and people are buying it. $10,000 a day. And the thing is, this thing was selling out almost from the beginning. Yeah. It's, wow. It's, 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 I don't, it's amazing to me who, who buys this thing, but they do. And plus, they let you in the room. They let, they let me in there for a few minutes, take a look, yeah. <laughs> a few minutes. I'm not, I don't, don't touch anything. I'm not going to spend the night. <laughs> All right, so you've got that. I mean, that's, that's probably their signature trademark of the ship that says, you want to know how luxurious we are, we've got that. Yeah. Right? What about the food? The food has been wonderful so far. I've been on for a few days. Uh, you know, they've expanded the restaurant choices, so this, this ship is not that much bigger in terms of passengers than the last region ship. How it's many passengers are we talking about? 750. So relative to other cruise lines, it's small. It's a small ship. Uh, it has a wide choice of restaurants if you're talking about food yeah and some really nice restaurants restaurants that if they were on land you'd be talking you know a few hundred dollars maybe a person to go to well you probably still are it's just part of your cruise price it's yeah that's a good point it's built in and, and people are paying you know up a thousand bucks a person a night to be on the ship and that's the going rate yeah well you know it depends on itinerary and so for and, a seven yeah. night cruise for two people we're fourteen thousand dollars Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a big ticket to begin with, but it's also very inclusive. So you, you know that that works in a lot of things that you, if you were at a high end land resort, you'd be paying extra for. Oh sure. Kaching, yeah. kaching, kaching. Yeah. You and I have talked about this before, but this is an unprecedented year, with every single shipyard in the world operating at capacity. Fifty six. The last time I counted, fifty six new cruise ships of every size and pedigree being built. I mean, I've not seen that happen ever. No, it's uh, it's just been a, a like a gold rush mentality of ship orders in the last couple of years. There was a, a lull there where there weren't, you know, after the economic troubles and everyone's ordering, even on, especially on the luxury end, you're seeing, you know, these guys, they have another ship on order. Crystal Cruises has ordered a few ships. You got Seaborn, Silver Sea ordering. Um, you look at it and think maybe there's too many on the way. Uh, you know, right now they're filling them. We'll but, you know, you, we've always said there was too many. There's too much capacity. And then they then they fill them. They do, they do, and, and you know the 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 the, the mark that the uh, demand side, so the supply side is growing, but the demand side is growing because you have this, you know, you got like China coming in, right? You got you know India, you got. But but with China, they're they're actually designing and building cruise ships specifically just for that market. They are, and uh, particularly on the mass mass market end of cruising, so Royal Caribbean, Norwegian. You know, princess dedicating entire ships. decks to casinos entire decks to retail yeah changing around what you're going to see a lot a lot yeah. more retail they love to show i have this feeling that on the ships they're building for china they have two new sections you ready 
smoking and more smoking. I just thought <laughs> it, I, it was just a thought. I don't know. There's going to be more smoking for sure. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But for the for the rest of the of the world, like a ship like the Seven Seas Explorer, that's what you see more of coming. Yeah, and I think actually it's something I was just talking to the CEO of, of Region about. Uh, He's coming up just, next. Just, He's just coming yesterday. up next. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, when we're when are we going to see a luxury ship of this level go to Asia and be dedicated to the Asian market? I think that's something you're going to see in the next couple of years. Well, probably in the fifth or sixth year of this ship's life, they might reposition it there. It could be. Or, you know, they have another ship coming out, a sister ship to this in 2020. They may just send that one straight there. It's something you should ask him. I will. He's coming up next. Gene Sloan from USA Today. Which, where's your next cruise taking you? I am actually going to go try out the new Disney River Cruise, which is just starting up. It, Disney's, on, on Disney's got a river cruise now? D Disney is getting in the river cruise business. Can you imagine now on the, river, on the, on the rivers of Germany, they're going to start singing, It's a Small World After All. Oh, no. It's, you know, it, it, here come the kids, I guess. But, but, but river cruises have always been for adults. That's it. It's skewed very old, and I, and I think that that's what we may be seeing here. The question is, can they do for river cruising what they did? We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance over. That's clearance over. Over. Roger. Huh? My next guest knows a little bit about the ship we're uh, about to get on because he's the CEO and president of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. His name is Frank Del Rio. Explain the word holdings, Frank. Well, it's the uh, company that operates three incredible brands, Norwegian Cruise Line. As opposed to three terrible brands? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So Norwegian Cruise Line is our contemporary brand. Oceana Cruises is our premium segment. And behind us is uh, the Region 7 Seas Explorer, the most luxurious cruise ship ever built that we just launched on behalf of Region 7 Seas Cruises. You see, now I knew you were going to say that because it's part of your branding, right? But now I'm going to call you on that. What makes it? I mean, it's one thing to say it. <clears throat> what makes it the most luxurious? Peter, you've been on board. Yeah. And I would throw the question back at you, what doesn't make it? Every step you take on that vessel exudes luxury. 56,000 gross registered tons for just 750 guests is an enormous amount of space. And you've kept it small in terms of passenger numbers. Uh, in, yes. yes. So this is a luxury vessel. It has to have a certain aura of um, exclusivity. And all our Region 7C ships are, by definition, small. I, by today's standards. Uh, Regent Explorer is the largest at 750 guests. But for uh, you, that's large. For Regent, it is yeah. large. For the Norwegian Cruises brand, uh, 750 would be a half of a lifeboat <laughs> uh, because we have ships that are 4,200 guests. Your lifeboats hold that many people? On Norwegian, uh, they do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was talking to one of the designers earlier in the show about your allocation of space. Because yeah. when you design a ship, space is so critical. It is. How did you get, I mean, I know you were very hands-on on this, so when you looked at the original plans, what did you look at and say, no, that's not going to work, this is what I want? You know, it's the details, it's what people look at first, it's part of our, what the, our society has come to treasure, and that's bathrooms. If you you don't see, get... I judge a hotel by the bathroom. Absolutely. Because if the bath, you spend more waking hours in your bathroom than any other time, any other space on the ship, yeah. so if the bathroom works, yeah. chances are the rest of the hotel works yeah. or the rest of the ship works. So you might think I'm kidding, but we built it from the bathroom and the closet. Two and a half years ago, we had a 10-person focus group of all our pa past guests in Miami where we built six... You locked them in a bathroom, didn't you? No. This was just <laughs> the uh, closets. Really? Six mock-up closets. 
that's where they get you. It's the little details. The clothes have got to be right. No, these are longer cruises, Peter. These right. are not two and three night cruises. People right. go on these vessels for 10, 12, 14 nights, let sometimes me, let me, longer. Let me, let me give you two words that might come to mind. Steamer trunks. Uh, well, those are a little outdated You know what I'm talking days. about. Yeah. They're coming in with you big know, bags. They, they do come with big bags. Yeah. And these are well-to-do folks. They dress to the nines. And so you've got to have the space for them to be able to store their... But that was a surprise for you, right? They came back and they said, no, we're, we're not happy with the closets, right? Yeah, that's right. We made lots of modifications to closet. How high, how deep to make the drawers, how many drawers, how much hanging space. You know, I got to tell you something. I took the last cruise of the Rotterdam before Holland America sold it. And I took a look at the walk-in closet in the stateroom you put me in. That was the size of my cabin on the <laughs> Rotterdam. Well, you know, you get what you pay for, uh, Thanks, Peter. Frank. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, this vessel, being the most luxurious cruise ship in the world. You're not going to stop with that, are no, you? No, <laughs> that's uh, your readers or your uh, listeners are going to remember that line uh, if I uh, have anything to do with it. Yeah. But, but, it but it's true. Uh, space is a premium. If I had to define the word luxury, and as you and I know, it's a very difficult word to define depending what product or service you are talking about on cruise ships. Space is literally money yeah. because the, the ship the cost, the, the volume uh, costs money to build. And what tends to happen is you try to pack as many passenger cabins, as many people on board as possible. Because you got to amortize the cost. You have to amortize the cost over a broader group of guests, not on board our vessels. I mean, this is not the kind of ship that you save all year long to be able to afford. If I can be a little brash, I would tell you this is the ship for the one percenters. Yeah. This is the ship for those who have achieved a level of success, a level of wealth, because with luxury comes the way, uh, the means of being able to pay for it. All right, so that brings up another question, and that is the nickel and diming aspect of some operations, right? Yeah. I know that once you get above a certain level of luxury, people don't want to go to their wallet at all. They yeah. just want to say, what, you know, it's, it's like the Seaborn approach or Silver who? Sea. I'm sorry? You heard me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a misconnection. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, but you know what I'm saying, where you paid the price and it's yeah. all, it truly is all inclusive. Well, I'll, I beg to differ there because okay. by far, Regent is the most all-inclusive cruise line. No, if not, you I, compare I, I lists, yeah, yeah. the only time you have to go for your wallet on board any of the region spa, ships, spa. spa, the boutique, right, and to cover your gambling losses, because you will lose. Um, <laughs> everywhere, everything else is I, I hope for. my cameraman is listening, because uh, that's all he wants to do is go to the sea. I'm trying to warn him against it. Okay. You know, the specialty restaurants, uh, all your beverages. Uh, Shore excursions. Excursions are included. Uh, your pre-cruise hotel we want you to fly in the day before. We want you to rest. We want you That's to a, decompress. I wish, I, I wish more people would know that just yeah. because, just from the logistics of it all. Yeah. People who try to fly on the same day the cruise is leaving, they're gambling. Not only that, but, you know, w if you spend a day at a hotel, uh, we want you to take your the edge that you build up during that long transatlantic flight on the hotels. D so take it out on them. Take it out on them. <laughs> so when you come on board the next day, you're nice and relaxed, and we greet you with a... Uh, a glass of uh, chilled champagne, and uh, you're off to the races. We're dealing in a situation right now where every shipyard that I can imagine is operating at 100% capacity. Yeah. Uh, there are more cruise ships being built now for you and everybody else than ever before in, in my history, right? I'm sure yours as well. Correct. Where are we going? Well, we're going where consumers want to take us. Um, this has always been an industry where you build them and they will come. And uh, in the last 30, 40 years where this industry has really taken off, uh, it hasn't disappointed. And, of course, now we have China. And uh, it's 1.3 billion 
consumers. Uh, 130 over a, million people traveling. Uh, traveled to a foreign destination last yeah. year. Very, very few have yet to try a cruise. And so the cruise industry, in essence, is betting big on the China cruise expansion. Including you. Including I. Where are you putting your ships there? The Norwegian Joy, a ship that we're building as we speak in Germany, will be the... It's being built directly for that market. It's specifically for that market. We have customized it to the hilt. We've spent a year learning about not Chinese culture, because that's the easy part. You can read a book and learn about Chinese culture. It's Chinese nuances that is even more important. Right. And we've... Uh, we Certain think floor numbers are eliminated. Well, that's... The, yes. And, but there's lots and lots and lots of layers. And if you really want to gain their hearts... Um, we think that's the way to do it. We don't think there's a product like that in the Chinese market today. Uh, the products in the Chinese market today are, have basically are existing, been are existing. Our existing vessels and somewhat uh, converted uh, uh, to, to local tastes as best as they could. But we started from a, a blank sheet of paper, and I think that the, uh, the results will be uh, fantastic. The, the response we're getting from the Chinese travel agency community is just uh, beyond our expectations. If, if I had to guess, I would say the ship that you're building right now, the Joy, would have increased retail space? Yes, 60% more. Casino? 60% more. Smoking? Uh, a lot, <laughs> Come on. Yeah, a lot more. <laughs> but also, you know, in the um, you know, in the States, we talk about multi-generational travel. Right. And it's a sliver of our overall demand. In China, we see it as a core market. You know, in China, for many, many... families like to travel together. Well, for many, many years, until right. recently, there was a the one-child rule. And so it's not unusual to, say, to have that one child with their parents and two groups of grandparents. So six adults and one kid. And you've got to have special accommodations to, to treat some combination of that kind right. of, uh, uh, of passage. And, of course, the restaurants and the entertainment and everything has to be geared for that kind of multi-generational um, clientele. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy winning multi platinum RB phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? 
Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.